Here's the 0-2 pitch. Got him swinging. Shawaran pumping his fist and showing the emotion. Galgan kicks and deals, and it's a line drive to short. Leaping grab by Kevin Smith. Two. That one is hit well, deep to center, backing up his wave near the warning track at the wall. He makes the grab! Swung on it, missed, he got him, and the Terps win! The Illini 27 winning streak comes to a close, and the Terps move on to the next round. The 2-2, two -two, curveball, strike three! The Terps have done it again! This time it's on the West Coast! The number one team in the tournament goes down as the Terps have ditched the gloves and they're dogpiling on the mound. Good evening and welcome to the third episode this season of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg and Matt present with you this evening. We're going to break down the weekend that was, the Rhode Island Rams series. The Terps taking two out of three there. We'll take a look at the game against Delaware tomorrow, the midweek matchup for the Terps against the Blue Hens. We'll take a look ahead to the Keith LeClaire Classic, the 13th annual edition of that tournament. Say that tournament. three times. Yes, yeah, seriously, <laughs> that's a bit of a tongue twister. And uh, we'll hear from first baseman Kevin Biondic, a little interview with him later. We'll, we'll hear from the Chicago native about pretty much anything you can think of, so stay tuned for that. But first, we'll, we'll go into Rhode Island this weekend and as we were saying on the broadcast, Matt, one of the wildest and wackiest series that I think we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think we were just dumbfounded, you know, when things wrapped up Sunday because it was a tale of two series, a tale of two teams, even within the teams, even within the games. I mean, we just saw a lot of weird stuff. We saw seven to five putouts. We saw umpires getting hit with the ball. We saw, you know, the first three of the first four runs come unearned a couple of pitchers duels Friday and Saturday, and then all of a sudden, 23 total runs on Sunday. I mean, what do you make of that? I don't, I don't really know that you read a lot into either or any of the days, but it was a fun series. I mean, Sunday was, I mean, for me personally, and I think for you as well up in the booth, was an absolute blast with, with all the offense being put out there. You had both these teams scoring more runs in that single game than they had to the point in the season. And, you know, for the series, just three earned runs combined between the two. I'm sorry, one earned run combined between the two. Four runs total. And then, of course, the, the slugfest on Sunday with five home runs. Yeah, a couple of pitchers duels. And, I mean, nothing but good things to say about Mike Shorn and Taylor Bloom on Friday and Saturday. No walks between the two of them. I mean, that's just unbelievable pitching to keep the ball uh, in the strike zone, to keep the ball in play. Uh the games moved fast, and, and thank goodness, because it was really cold the first couple days of this series. But, you know, both of those guys threw strikes. They kept their teams in it. And, uh, you know, a bad luck loss, I guess, for Bloom. A, a one nothing win wire-to-wire -wire for Mike Shorn. I mean, pitching. I mean, it was, a, it was a bad luck loss, too, for Stephen Moyers. He pitched really well on Friday night, but you mentioned how cold it was, and it was mid-30s with, with kind of a strong wind blowing through Shipley Field, and Shawarin kept the bats of the Rams – silent eight shutout innings just one hit only two base runners neither of whom I mean, he's Connor Foreman both times but he never reached second base five strikeouts you mentioned the zero walks he retired the last 20 of the 21 he faced and overall faced the minimum over eight innings of 24 and it was a performance that obviously spectacular and good enough to earn him big 10 pitcher of the week honors that was announced earlier today 
Yeah, I almost feel like we, we've gotten to the point where we're just spoiled watching Mike Schwarren. I mean, obviously he pitched well. There's no question about it. And maybe it's because his five strikeouts aren't the seven-plus we're used to seeing as he came into the game with seven or more strikeouts in nine of his previous ten starts. But, you know, you watched him pitch, and you said, all right, he was doing a good job. He, you know, few base runners, you know, ball in play on the ground. But you kind of step back and look at it and go, wow, what a performance. And, and kind of in the moment, I didn't feel that way, not because I thought he was pitching badly by any stretch, but just because I think that's what we've come to expect from Mike Schwarren. And I think that in and of itself really says a lot and how spoiled we are and what a tremendous pitcher he is. I think for me, the reason that I might not have felt as overwhelmed by Schwarren's start is because it happened in, in the blink of an eye. The game was under two hours. He got through eight innings and 91 pitches. It was lickety split. You look down, it's the first inning. He gives up a hit. You look back up, and it's the eighth inning, and the Terps are up one to nothing, and the Rams haven't had a hit since. So, you know, in the blink of an eye, things go from first to eighth, five strikeouts. We mentioned no runs allowed. He got 11 groundouts, six flyouts, and you just kind of, like you said, you take a step back and you go, um, what just happened? And, oh, my goodness. And, you know, we've come to expect that from Schwarren. They call him the unicorn for a reason. And I think as we see the season progress, you know, it's just going to be more of the same from him. And then on Saturday, it was more of the same from Maryland as Taylor Bloom went to the mound. Seven strong innings, nine strikeouts. Those both personal records for a single game. And, boy, his changeup, Jake, just so good. He was able to throw it in any count. He was able to get so many swings and misses. And like Rhode Island, Steve Moyers pitching backwards to the Terps, Taylor Bloom was able to throw any pitch in any count and get out for Maryland on Saturday. You know, going up against Tyler Wilson, that was another pitcher's duel. Wilson pitched really well as well. Well, we saw that changeup coming really strong in the second half of last season, especially against UCLA in that regional final. He had a really strong summer in the Cal Ripken baseball, including that one game when he struck out 16. And a lot of that due to that changeup. And then this performance, his seven innings pitched, a career high. His nine strikeouts, a career high. And, yeah, on Friday, Moyers had a bad luck loss. But you could also say that on Saturday, Taylor Bloom had, an even, had even worse luck. You know, you go against a guy like Tyler Wilson, A-10 pitcher, player of the year, who goes seven innings, gives up one run, it's unearned, and strikes out 11. And that's what you're going up against. I think if you told Taylor Bloom he was going to go seven innings, strike out nine, and give up two runs, I think he'd be pretty happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just really impressive pitching all around. I mean, John Sheff said after the series that he thinks Rhode Island could be a tournament team. And, you know, night and day between allowing 50 runs to Florida State, and yes, it's at Florida State, a tough place to play, and yes, they're the 14th-ranked team in the nation, but to go from giving up 50 runs to coming in and giving up one run over two days – I mean, just really impressive stuff from Steve Moyers and Tyler Wilson and, you know, a really impressive one-two punch for them as well. Well, it's an impressive one-two punch for the Terps too with Schwarren and Bloom. And that's not to knock on Schaefer, who hasn't been as polished as we saw against UCLA. Of course, he had a lot of time off. He had some elbow tightness coming out of the start against UCLA. Had to rehab over the summer. Tweaked it again in the fall. Had to do some more rehab. This start on Sunday, just his second one since that UCLA start. So, Schaefer's still getting back in the groove of things, and he's a guy who had 52 strikeouts, nine walks last season, someone who has a really, really high season for Maryland, and when he gets things going, 
this is going to be a really dangerous weekend rotation. Yeah, and hopefully for him he can get back on track quickly. I think a lot of it just has to do with knocking the rust off like you're talking about, getting back to the point where he can unleash and throw strikes and hit his spots. And, you know, hopefully for his sake and for the team's sake, this coaching staff really, you know, is patient with him and lets him get back to where we know he can be because I, I, I think it shouldn't take long. I think, you know, a couple more starts and he'll be there. I think, you know, you look at his numbers and they weren't great, but – you know, an early error on in the game, and, you know, he had to face a couple extra hitters, 44 pitches in two and a third inning. So I think if he can just throw a few more strikes and build his confidence early in the game, that's all he needs. So let's go to let's go to Sunday now. And Sunday was exciting, to say the least. We had five home runs, four from the Terps, 23 combined runs. It was a flip-flop game. The Rams led by four, then they led by two, then they led by five, then they fell behind by one, and it was just all throughout. But before that, the Terps had put up just one run in four of the five games they played. So, Chef fiddling with the lineup. We saw the top three, you know, moving around between Dunn, Smith, and Nickens. We saw the bottom lineup. Brandon Smith got a start. Marty, Co- Marty Costas got his first start. On Sunday, it was Peyton Sarles seeing some action. What happened? What did you see, Matt? I saw that hitting is contagious, and it's not a matter of necessarily the lineup or the pitcher you face or, you know, there's so many variables you can point to, but it just takes one guy to get it started. And in this case, all of a sudden, Justin Morris laces a fastball directly over the batter's eye in center and everyone else somehow follows suit. And I think that it's so easy to try to look for a rationale as to why that happened, but it, it just did. It just happened. And and good for the Terps because, you know, they really struggled the first couple of games and, you know, Alabama, their bats, you know, could, they could have been better. They weren't great. And obviously going up against a tough SEC opponent, but all of a sudden 13 runs on the board Sunday and, you know. That home run by Justin Morris, by the way, might be one of the farthest balls hit at Chipley Field, clearing that really tall batter's eye and pretty much dead center. I don't think we've seen a home run go farther, at least in, in our time here. It's certainly possible that it's happened before. But he gave that one a ride. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that – how tall is that wall? 25 feet? Uh, it's like a Maybe mini more? monster out I mean, there. Yeah. I don't know. The only thing that was going to keep the ball in the in the yard was the top of that wall. And once it cleared it, probably 50 feet on the other side. At least, I think. I saw he did it in batting practice the day before. And then on his next you know go around, he hit one that went just as far and hit off you know maybe one or one and a half to two panels up the batter's eye that if the eye wasn't there would have you know gone out just as easily. So Justin Moore is coming on and showing some power. And the rest of the Terps, they're kind of relying on the home run a little bit. We've had, you know, a, a number of home runs for the Terps. Now they had three in the Alabama series from Sierra, Papio, and Nickens. And then in this game against the Rams, Justin Morris went deep. Biondic went deep. Nick Sierra had the grand slam. Nickens went deep. Four home runs for the Terps. That's seven on the season. And of those seven, five of them, two run shots. Go figure. No rhyme or reason. It's it's just baseball. We've mentioned all the weird things we saw this weekend, and I think that's just one of them. But I think what was impressive was that so you get down a few runs, you come back. You're down five, you come back. They hit a few home runs, they take the lead, and then they tack on the insurance late. I think those insurance runs late were huge because you've now built this – lead 
you've nearly squandered it, and then you step on their necks, and you really stamp. Oh, that was aggressive. I, I'm just <laughs> my high school baseball coach used to say that all the time. Step on their necks. So, but, but they really put the game away late. I mean, there have been two big innings now in this season for the Terps. There was a six-run fourth in Alabama that saw three home runs, and we mentioned all of them two-run homers. And then you have an eight-run fifth with two home runs, the two-run shot from Bionic, and then the grand slam from Sierra, which might have been, I don't know, maybe the most animated I've ever been in a broadcast booth. I was, I was going pretty crazy up there. More than Illinois? More than more than I don't know Illinois, that uh that final strike from Kevin Mooney that was pretty exciting too. Actually, I was told on the bus after the game by by one of the Terps that they could actually hear me from the field. the The target field press box was was open. the the, the windows were open, and there weren't a ton of fans there. It was it was kind of an empty ballpark, so things echoed nicely. And I guess I was that animated and that excited that they could hear me from the field. I I don't know. I must have been pretty loud, but I think with this Sierra Grand Slam, I might have reached a new level. I don't know. Well, the weather warmed up, the bats warmed up, and I guess your vocal cords warmed up a little bit Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But, but going back to my original point, after, after that digression a little bit, the big innings for the Terps really coming through. They've scored 14 runs in two total innings this season, thanks to five home runs. And then, but I think I think you make a really good point with those insurance runs late in the game. That's kind of the first time this season we've seen the Terps string together a bunch of hits. Yeah, a few doubles, and it was just a matter of hit after hit after hit. And I think that was what was missing in the Alabama series. They were getting hits, they were getting guys on pace, but they couldn't get the clutch hit. They couldn't get the two-out hit. They were unable to string hits together. And then once that light switch was flicked yesterday, whatever it was, Justin Morris did it in the third inning. And from there on out, they were able to get those hits. They were able to string them together. They were able to drive in runs and cash in with runners in scoring position. And in the game, Maryland scored 13 runs, left six on base. And that's that's such an upgrade from you know previous games when they were when they were leaving six or more on base and not scoring runs. Well, I think the biggest thing that, and something we might have overlooked in our discussion to this point, is how those insurance runs were really produced by the top of that lineup, which saw so many changes throughout this series. First, you had Nick Dunn leading off, and Nickens in the three-hole, Kevin Smith staying in the two. Then you had it flipped back the other way. And then on Sunday, we saw Kevin Smith leading off for the first time, Nickens sliding down to the two, Nick Dunn back in the three-hole, and maybe Chefs found a solution at the top. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see uh, against Delaware what lineup John Chef puts out there because, like you said, he shuffled. No no lineup was the same any of those three days. Uh, and the leadoff spot was different every one. And then you have a guy like Madison Nickens who goes deep and then is asked to put down a bunt after his team has scored 11 runs and he's hit a home run. And he does it, and it leads to those insurance runs. And, you know, again, it's just the weird things we saw Absolutely. this weekend. But it worked out just fine. And we mentioned on the broadcast both coaches who had offenses that had been struggling. And we were saying how both of them, you know, if you told Rafael Serrato that he was going to get 10 runs on Sunday, he would have been like, absolutely, this is great. We're totally coming away with a win. And if you told Chef that he was going to score 11 runs and then have to play small ball and get some insurance in the late goings to get to 13 and really put away the win, I think he would have been shocked. 
But, you know, Nickens able to be that kind of versatile player and do that. And you're right. You, you wonder if, what kind of lineup we're going to see against Delaware tomorrow. I think the top is going to stay the same. When you have success at the top of the lineup like they did against Rhode Island on Sunday, I think a lot of that's going to stay the same. The only reason it might change is because they'll face Kevin Milley, who's a lefty. And it's, it'll be interesting to have Nickens, Dunn, Sierra, three lefties in a row. But, you know, the Terps lineup usually, you know, they don't always go based on those matchups. They're, they're good. Their lefty hitters are good against lefties. Their righter hitters are good against righties. The matchup game isn't always played the same way with Maryland. So I think the top will stay the same. But I think the bottom three might see some changes. You know, we mentioned how Justin Morris catches on Friday and Sunday and Sierra catches on Saturday. And when Sierra catches, it opens up that DH slot for a guy like Marty Costas or Jamal Wade or even Peyton Sarles, who saw action on Sunday. We saw Brandon Smith see some time at first base on Saturday getting the start instead of Biondic. And I think we see a shuffle there as they try and kind of iron out, you know, the lineup one through nine. Yeah, and for the Terps, it'll be John Murphy tomorrow. And, you know, he's a guy we had on our podcast when he thought he was getting his first start against VCU. Now, after much anticipation, he will get the ball uh, against uh, Delaware. And Delaware has a pretty potent offense. They're 3-3 three and three on the year this, uh, so far. They have 11 guys this season who have 14-plus at-bats. And five of those 11 guys are hitting 346 or higher. So a tall task for John Murphy in his first action as a, a terrible. One thing to note about Delaware, though, is that while they've had a lot of early season success, and we can say small sample size all we want, the thing about this Blue Hens team is that it's really inexperienced. They just have one returning starter, Diaz Nardo, their third baseman, who started five of their six games so far. He sat in the last Sunday game and gave way to uh, Nick Tirio. But when you look at the guys in, on their team who have played all six games, there are three that stand out. Jordan Glover, Kevin Mahollin, and Doug Trimble. They're the only ones that have started all six games. Kevin Mahollin's the redshirt freshman. He didn't play at all last year. Jordan Glover is a JUCO transfer from Cumberland uh, Community College. And Doug Trimble's a guy who's kind of, kind of been a role player the past couple of years. Only played in ten games last year. And now seeing an expanded role as a designated hitter and a first baseman. The, the eight players that the eight starters, I should say, that left Delaware last year accounted for 74% of the team's run production and 77% of the team's total hits. That's a that's a big loss for Delaware. For any team, I mean that's that's really tough to replace, and it's it's tough to get guys in a swing, in a swing at early on early on in the season when they haven't seen the bats over the course of their career. Same cloth as Mike Schwarm. 
Yeah, both attended the same high school, and uh, when we talked to him, he mentioned that he, Shawarin, and Sierra all played together on an American Legion team over the summer. I believe it was 2013. They won the American Legion National Championship. I mean, what a stacked team that must have been uh, between the three of them. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, he certainly, if you if you look at his stuff and you look at his stats, he certainly has promise and. It'll, it'll certainly be exciting to see him get his first action to, uh, against Delaware. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow we see Sierra catching Murphy, given their history on that American Legion team, and we see Chef infuse a right-hand hitter in that lineup against Millie. And I would bet that it would be Jamal Wade, who faced Millie last year uh, when the Terps and the Blue Hens played. Millie started the first of the two games and didn't really fare well. He gave up four runs over six innings and walked seven. And there were two current Terps on that team that had success against Millie. One was Kevin Smith, who had a solo home run, and the other was Wade, who had a triple, and then was singled in by his brother Lamont in the same inning. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Wade get in the lineup and Sierra be behind the plate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that lineup plays out because John Sheff did a lot of shuffling of the lineup over the weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see guys like Jamal Wade, who he goes with, in positions that he's been platooning. Obviously, you mentioned Peyton Sorrells, Brandon Smith, Marty Costas, all getting their first action. Obviously, it's it's early in the season, and Chef and company are still looking for that everyday lineup, and you don't want to take a game like Delaware for granted in the midweek. But it will be interesting to see what lineup he goes with. Especially considering it's Murphy's first start. And Murphy, you know, we mentioned his success at Gloucester Castle, the same high school that Shawarn went to. And Murphy actually holds the all-time wins record at Gloucester Catholic. Finished his senior year 5-2, 1.83 ERA, 70 strikeouts. And he's a guy who I think could make an immediate impact in the midweek for this Terps team. And I don't want to say he's the next Mike Shawarn because I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to say that a freshman pitcher, before he makes his first start, is going to come close to the kind of dominance that Shawarn has on the collegiate level. Shawarn's the unicorn. He's in a class of his own. But I think Murphy's a guy who's going to make an immediate impact in the midweek. I think he's somebody that you'll see be a weekend starter for this Terps team in the seasons going forward. And, you know, he might even be a guy who ends up in that Friday night role, just like Shawarn. I think he's got a lot of potential. He certainly has that potential, and it, it'll be fun to watch him get his first action tomorrow. We mentioned the starting lineup. One guy we certainly expect to see in the starting lineup at first base, Kevin Bionic. And when we come back on the Maryland Podcast, we will talk with first baseman Kevin Biondic about baseball and maybe some hockey as well. Stay with us. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play -play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But in order to do so, we need your help. As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and, as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg and Matt Present here. And we're joined now by the Terps first baseman, Kevin Bionda. Kevin, 
How's it going tonight? It's going good. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're uh, we're gonna have some fun, and I guess I guess we'll start with with this weekend in Rhode Island, and you know Friday was a quiet series, quiet was a quiet game at the bats for you guys, and then Saturday perhaps even more so, but things exploded on Sunday, huh? Yeah, it was good to finally get them going. Not to mention a little two-run home run from you. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> take us, take us through that, that at bat. You know, what kind of pitch were you looking for when you saw it in the air? I mean, up in the booth for me personally, off the bat, it it kind of looked like a like a fly ball to left center, and then it just kept carrying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think I was in a two-zero count at the time, so. I was expecting uh, a fastball, so and I got it. Luckily, I just drove it far enough and I got out. That that fastball count and hitting the fastball early on in the count is something that Coach Vaughn has talked to us about, and I'm sure he talks to you about it every day. What was the difference in terms of execution uh, as a team between the first couple days in the series and then finally connecting on Sunday? Yeah, um, I think the first few days, uh, the pitchers were kind of throwing us like backwards a little bit, you know, and kind of getting our timing off. And we kind of got off that approach of hunting the fastball. And uh, on Sunday, I think we did a really good job of staying back, taking the off speed, and really attacking on the fastballs. Do you think any of that has to do with the southpaws on the mound Friday and Saturday and the righty on Sunday, or is it just kind of a general approach? I think it's just the general approach. I, I think – I think we did a lot better job all around on, on Sunday. I think we kind of got straight away from that on Friday and Saturday a little bit. But that doesn't take away from their arms. They're both like pretty good arms we faced, and I think they just pitched really well. We talked on the broadcast Friday about how the coaching staff said that they wanted their best defensive lineup out there, you playing first base. And I remember talking to you last year in uh, Charlottesville and, and you saying that the what was holding you back from getting into the starting lineup wasn't your bat, but it was making the transition defensively from third base to first base that Coach Chef was not going to put you in the everyday lineup until you'd, you know, shirt up your defense. What was the toughest part about making the adjustment from one corner infield position to the other? I think it was mainly just learning the position more, you know. I think I had a – it took a year to finally get adjusted to it and – it's a different position, you know. It's it's hard to get used to scooping all those balls, you know, like learning the pitchers, which pickoff moves they're going to use each time, and it just took a year to understand how to actually play it. I never thought about the the pickoff move side of things. That's a good point, but you certainly made some nice scoops this weekend. Saved saved a few errors, perhaps from the from the middle infield. Uh, you know, they help me out. I'll help them out. You know, we always talk about it, like. I gave uh, Andrew and uh, Smitty a hard time, actually, because that ninth inning on Friday, they both threw balls, like, in the dirt a little bit. And I said, uh, you know, you guys are going to have to pay for my dinner or something because, you know, I'm helping you out. you got to help me out a little bit, but it's all fun, you know. <laughs> Sounds fair enough to me. Well, it's certainly, yeah. it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly good to see you working things out with the glove, and you're definitely one of the more sure-handed guys on the team coming into this season. And I don't know if you know this, Coming into that Sunday game, you were batting under 100, obviously very small sample size, but 
you raise your average by pretty much 200 points in that in that one game, and you now have the third highest average on the team. Yeah, I think that has to go a lot with uh, that in front of Justin Morris. I think he's gained the respect of getting getting letting the guys in front of him get good pitches, and it's it's really easy to hit in front of a guy like that because they'd rather pitch to me than pitch to him. You know, so I I think that goes a lot to show for him. Yeah, that's right. He had the the really long home run over the batter's eye in center field, and that might not be the last we've seen of him. So they're afraid of him. And then the next time around the order, when you come up, they give you a pitch to hit, and you make them pay for it. Yeah, you know, I I think in that event, you know, they go down 2-0 quick, you know, early, and they don't really want to pitch to – they don't want to get me in a bad count, walk me, and get to the red-hot Justin, so – so we're we're done with this Rams series. You guys took two out of three there. We move on to Delaware tomorrow. It's a team that you guys faced twice last year, but they don't return a lot of the same guys. What do you what do you expect out of Delaware tomorrow? Definitely a hard fought team. I know a lot of guys are from maybe not Delaware, but like know a lot of guys play for Delaware, and I think it's going to be more of like a not a rivalry game, but they're going to come out hard. You know, we can't can't slack on them because you know they're going to come play hard. All right. I want to talk to you a little hockey now. And uh, during our 25 days of baseball, one of the things you mentioned is that you were actually on your way to Bowling Green to play hockey before Maryland. How did, how did all that happen, and how did it go down that you decided to make the change to not only a different school but a different sport? Yeah. Um, I think there's a month left in the, the senior year of high school baseball, and I was on my way to go play tryout for the the D1 hockey team and zero on from there, you know. And I got an offer from Maryland, and I thought that was the best decision. Me and my family chose that that was the best decision for me to come here and play baseball. Is it kind of disappointing that Maryland's hockey team isn't on that D1 level? Did you consider maybe doing both? I never really considered doing both, uh, that would be just too much on me. You know, baseball's a, a a lot on its own, you know. I, I don't know if I could have handled both at one time. I guess I guess the seasons do overlap a decent amount, but they have they have some pretty cool jerseys. Oh yeah. I'll be honest, I've been trying to get my hands on one. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I I met a few kids, yeah, and I asked them if I could get one and they said, Oh, they don't just hand out jerseys and <laughs> Oh, we'll we'll find a way. While we're on the jersey yeah, subject, I, Kevin, while we're on the jersey subject, Maryland baseball has quite the jersey swag as well. Which is your favorite baseball jersey? Oh man, that's a hard one. Um, probably the uh, pinstripes, just because it's the what we won in the re- regional last year. I think that's my favorite. Anything to do with the Cubs? But, but, it does not have anything to do with that. <laughs> Am I right, though? Are you a Cubs fan or a Sox fan? Uh, if they're playing each other, I'm rooting for the Cubs, no doubt. I feel like that's almost like, unless you're from the south side of Chicago and, and you're, a, you're a diehard Sox fan, I feel like if you're in the Chicago area, you almost have to be a Cubs fan, right? If it's Honestly, if you're from Chicago, you root for the Cubs, but if you're from the south side, you're – you get tortured if you're not a Sox fan. It's 
they're pretty rough down there too. They're they take it seriously. And of course, especially my dad. Go ahead. Especially my dad. He gives me the hardest time about liking the Cubs. You know, for so many years they've just been brutal, hard to watch. You know, and then finally they come out. You know, but I give him a hard time about it now. So you excited for this season? Dexter Fowler coming back, Jason Hayward, Kyle Schwarber. Who, oh yeah. You know you've seen in the Big Ten. Hey, they are going to be real good this year. I'm pretty excited about the season. Uh, they got a bunch of new guys like Jason Hayward in the outfield. It's just a huge pickup, so I'm I'm pretty excited for the season. Yeah, I went to Wrigley last summer while I was out visiting some family, and it's not the old Wrigley. I mean, obviously the upgrades in the in the outfield, but it's such a fun place to watch a game. It's unbelievable. I, I remember my first time walking in that place, and you kind of like your hair kind of stands up. It's it's kind of a weird feeling walking in there for the first time. It's a, I haven't been out there myself. It's on my my bucket list of baseball stadiums. Although I guess really all of them are. Um, going to Target Field last year with you guys in the Big Ten tournament that was a really cool experience for me and I'm sure for you guys also being in that major league park but Wrigley's on the list absolutely yeah yeah Target Field was awesome it's it really cool to play on that field and see what it's like to actually play on one of those big league fields did it feel weird to, to be in such a big stadium I mean obviously you guys didn't come close to filling it but still an interesting atmosphere right oh it, it was awesome it, it was cool to actually get on one of those fields and that's like one of your dreams growing up is playing on one of those fields and actually do it. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool feeling. I'll be honest. It was, it was pretty cool for me too, up in the, you know, major league press box. I, I was, yeah, I was excited. Yeah, I'm sure that yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just a cool feeling. But of course the Cubs, the Cubs aren't your favorite Chicago team. I know you're a huge Blackhawks fan. Yeah. I'm pretty diehard hockey. Pretty diehard Blackhawks fan. Now I can't really speak, I, can, I can't really speak to hockey. I know I think next to nothing about the sport. I know I, I mean I'm just looking this up now. The Blackhawks are in first place, so I guess they're good, right? Yeah, you guys beat the Caps yesterday, huh? Yeah, we, we did beat the Caps, so I had a little bragging rights around here a little bit, especially with uh, me and Swope go back and forth about uh, hockey and the Blackhawks and the Capitals, so I gave him a little hard time yesterday about that. What do you think the chances are of us seeing a, a Caps uh, Blackhawks Stanley Cup? I think it's a pretty good shot. You know, the, the Blackhawks have proven themselves as one of the best in the league, if not the best. And the Caps are just having an unbelievable year, pretty much dominating Eastern. So it's exciting to see both those teams do pretty well. It would certainly be fun, uh, especially, you know, you have that rivalry. I have family from Chicago, but. As a Caps fan, I know that despite the, the added talent this year, you still have to just be a little reserved until you get through one round of the playoffs. That's just kind of been the story around here. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I, I feel for Caps fans. You know, they, they seem like they have some good years, and then they ended up not blowing it in the playoffs but not playing to their potential. So hopefully this year it's a little different. I hope they do good. Well, best of luck to your Blackhawks as well. Yeah, thank you. I want to I wanna ask you about something else, Kevin, and this is something that, that I've noticed in the time that I've spent with you guys at practice and intra-squads and on the road, and I've noticed that you are by far the loudest player in the dugout. Like, it's not even close. Maybe Jan Karski gives you a run for your money. Mike Racino gets pretty loud in there, too, but it's definitely you by far. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I think those guys definitely give me a run for my money. Um, but uh, I, I try and be the loudest in there. I mean, you're just – I mean, I don't even know what you're yelling. How, oftentimes it's, like, kind of incoherent. You're just, like, hooting and hollering. <laughs> what are you even saying? Most of the time it's just to try and get in someone's head, you know, get the team going a little bit, you know, stuff like that. Do you know what you're saying? <laughs> Usually no, but <laughs> but it's all worth it. Yeah, if it works, it doesn't matter. So it's really just loud, the first thing that comes to mind, and often gibberish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think I know what I'm saying most of the time, but sometimes it just comes out as nothing. Care to care to give us an example? Or try, <laughs> like, like, pretend that, that I just hit, you know, a walk-off double. What's what's your reaction there? I realize we're putting you on the spot, but I want to give I want to give our podcast listeners a taste of your ridiculousness. I I are are you on my team or are you on the other team? Oh no 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 I'm a, I'm on your team I'm on your, we're on the same team here Kevin. Oh I, I'm going nuts you know I, I I'm talking to everyone telling them how good we are especially with the walk off no doubt. All right what I'm trying to get the team. What about Sierra's Grand Slam? That must have been a pretty charged moment for you guys. I saw you all pile out of the dugout. Sierra was pumped up. Like, what what came out of your mouth there? Um, actually, for Sierra, it's pretty easy. We uh, he's got a nickname on the team. We call him Cheese. So everyone started doing our little cheese uh, chant for him. It was pretty funny. Cheese. Where where does that come from? We call him. Uh, we just call him Cheese. That's his nickname on the team. Well, I, I'm not sure where it started, where it came from, but uh, that's his nickname. I mean, my guess, maybe he smiles a lot or he just really likes cheese. I... <laughs> maybe he likes, I think we just likes give him cheddar, not the about... high fastball. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> what, what I, was I think talking... we just give him a hard time for being a big dude, so we call him cheese. <laughs> Make a cheeseburger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could go in a lot of different directions. And if we had him on the podcast last week. I feel like that's something – he should have mentioned or we should have known. I would have loved to hear the real story behind that. Yeah. We'll have to ask him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure where it started. I'm sure it had to be from Schworn or something because, you know, they're buddies. So. Is Schworn the guy who hands out nicknames or is it just him and Sierra being buds? I think it's just him and Sierra being buds. I, I, I think he just likes giving them a hard time. Do you have a nickname? Uh... I guess people just call me Cousin Mike for some reason. <laughs> All right. For some reason. It you got like to explain than... what, whatever I, Cousin I'm Mike I'm not is. really sure, to be honest. I, I'm not really sure. It's just that's what people call me. Who came up with that? I uh, The kids from home, and then at Northwestern last year, they all came out, and they uh, <laughs> the whole team like heard Cousin Mike, so they just kind of went with it. I mean, speaking of that, you got a lot of support from the Chicago area. Taylor Smythe, the, the media relations person for the Terps, mentioned to me in Alabama that anytime he tweets something about anything that you do on the field, off the field, it by far gets the most retweets and favorites of anything. He thinks that, that you just drive traffic. Yeah. Um, I think it's – I just got a good family, good friends, and they just – they like to see that I'm doing good, especially, like, kids from the neighborhood. You always keep, like, track of kids that are doing stuff. Well, Kevin, we, we love watching you, too, and uh, 
It was fun to see that home run this weekend. Keep it up, man, and thanks so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me. When we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll break down this weekend's tournament with ECU, Southeastern Louisiana, and Tennessee. Stay with us. Wondering when our next broadcast is? Check out our broadcast schedule, available at MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, complete with links to each game's broadcast, including which broadcast will be televised on BTN+. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg and Matt Present, your hosts. And we've heard from Kevin Biotic. We took a look at the series against the Rhode Island Rams. We previewed tomorrow's matchup against the Delaware Blue Hens. And now we'll take a jump forward a few more days and we'll go to this weekend. The Terps traveling down to ECU to take on Tennessee, Southeastern Louisiana, and the East Carolina Pirates in a four-team tournament, the 13th annual Keith LeClaire Classic. Seriously, we, we said it at the opening of the podcast. Try and say that three times fast. It's Keith LeClaire Classic. Keith, ah, can't do it. Can't even do it twice. Can't even, Didn't can't even get do to it the twice. third time. I'll, I'm telling Matt. Matt's going to be down there for the Maryland Baseball Network, and you can choose to say it as many times as you want. But I certainly don't envy you. I'll try to come up with an acronym, maybe a, a sh way of shortening it. I don't know. No disrespect to Keith LeClaire, whoever whoever he is, but not the easiest phraseology of his tournament. KLC. I'd be down. I don't know. We'll, we'll work sounds on Sounds like it. some fried chicken. We'll work on it. <laughs> anyway, the Terps taking on an SEC team in Tennessee and then ECU in southeastern Louisiana. And the thing about ECU that will be interesting for Maryland is that it's the first ranked opponent they'll face this season. ECU getting the nod in D1Baseball.com's poll coming in at 16th in some other polls. They come in at 25th in college, in college baseball poll. So the Terps will have a chance to – get a win over a ranked opponent, and if they can have a good showing this weekend, they might start to see themselves creep up in the polls. We posted our rankings update earlier today. The Terps still unranked, and not really surprising after starting the season 3-3, three and three, but they did receive a lot of votes in the USA Today coaches poll, and in fact, more votes than any other Big Ten team. Yeah, anytime you go south and get warmer weather, you also get better competition, and I think that's what I'm excited to see down at the Keith LeClaire Classic. Is that it? Yeah, that was good. All right, was good. not bad for the not first. Not bad. Uh, but anyway, uh, for every bad loss, I think there's a good win out there. And, you know, a little bit of a disappointing defeat 2-1 to one on Saturday to Rhode Island. But certainly a challenging slate ahead, but certainly some opportunities to get good wins against good teams. It'll be the third trip through the weekend rotation for Shawaran Bloom and Schaefer, so more opportunities for that trio of righties to get on track. And obviously we talked about how Shawarn and Bloom have been stellar, or were stellar this past weekend, and how good Schaefer can be, and we hope that he gets back on track. But I think that the Terps, if they want to see this season start going the direction that they expect it to, with all the potential that they have and all the question marks on the offensive side of things, this tournament is, is the place to do it. Well... Something that Kevin Bionic mentioned, uh, not on this podcast, but after the game on Sunday, is that this team, when, they're, when their hitters are struggling, their pitchers picked them up on Friday and Saturday. And when their pitching struggled on Sunday, 
the hitters were there to pick him up. I think this weekend with some tough competition, it's great to have one compensate the other. Now let's put them all together because this team could be very dangerous. Well, I think that's why tomorrow is so important for the Terps against Delaware, and it'll be a it'll be a decent atmosphere in Newark. Also, it's the the Blue Hens' home opener at Bob Hanna Stadium, so it'll be a nice opportunity for Maryland to try and solidify a lineup that they'll take down to Greenville, and not to mention the fact you know maybe get some pitchers in there that haven't seen as much action. Hunter Parsons not pitching as much in Alabama didn't didn't last an out. Zach Guth coming in very briefly. Andrew Green maybe we'll see tomorrow as well you know I think we've seen Rob Galligan a ton as we expect to we've seen Ryan Selmer a few times Taylor Stiles has only made one appearance on the season that came on Sunday you know perhaps we'll see him again yeah and kudos to him it was really special to see him get back on the mound on Sunday and he really pitched better I thought than his numbers indicate he left some guys stranded that they end up scoring um, but you know especially his first inning to to come in just the mental fortitude to have worked so hard physically to get back on the mound and then you're facing live pitching for the first time since such a scary injury and just to come out right away, throw strikes in and seem as though nothing really happened. I mean, it's it's truly a testament to his mental game so strong and uh, it was really great for us to, to see him back on the mound after what happened against Cal State Fullerton last year. And there's a new addition for Styles. We mentioned this on the broadcast. We mentioned his new protective mask that he wears. And it's the same mask that Rip Hamilton had made, if you're familiar with the NBA great. Great. And uh, LeBron wore one briefly. Kobe. And it's the same doctor that made Styles' mask as made the three of those NBA players. And the cool thing about the mask that Taylor was telling me about, and Galligan mentioned this a little bit in our podcast a couple weeks ago, is that if the, the material the mask is made out of was just a little bit thicker, it would be bulletproof. And they tested this mask. They basically set it up on a stand of some kind and fired 100, 110 mile an hour pitches at it to see if it was durable, see if it would work, and not even a scratch. Yeah, it's amazing the technology not only on the field but off and, and the, how far the medical technology has come but to, to keep these players healthy and to give them the equipment they need to, to stay healthy. Yeah, science is pretty cool, huh? Yeah, not bad. It's a, it's a neat thing. But the Terps, they get back going tomorrow. It's a 2.30 start in Newark, Delaware. We'll be live at 2.10, and I'll be there with all the play-by-play -play action for us and the Maryland Baseball Network. And it'll be, like like we keep saying, it'll be interesting to see what lineup Chef rolls out. It'll be interesting to see Murphy's first performance as a Terp and whatever happens the rest of the way. Well, tune in then. Jake will have the pregame show starting at 2.10 on the Maryland Baseball Network. First midweek game of the season, and then this weekend down in Greenville, North Carolina. 12 p.m. starts on Friday and Saturday, and then a 3.30 start on Sunday here on the Maryland Baseball Network. As always, you can tweet us at MDBaseballNet, and if you have any comments or additions you'd like to see us feature on this podcast or on our broadcast, feel free to email us at MarylandBaseballNetwork at gmail.com. For Jake Eisenberg, I'm Matt Present. Thanks so much for listening to Episode 3 of the 2016 Maryland Baseball Podcast. Thanks again to Kevin Bionic for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun, and we hope to have you listening tomorrow at 210 on the Maryland Baseball Network.